Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Good morning. Welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world, with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Symmetra, LPGA, and Legends Tour, and so many others, helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and once again, welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside, of course, is none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional, Cindy Miller. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Uh, another beautiful morning here, and uh, sun shining. It's nice and warm, and I'm excited to get out there and enjoy the day after this show. Um, we got a great show coming up. We're going to be starting off um, with uh, another great discussion in the new No BS Zone, uh, how to improve your accuracy, something that we can all do. And then a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by a very special guest. We're glad to have her back, Debbie Wickes. Uh, she's a speaker, author, and founder of Golf for Cause. And we're going to talk to her uh, a little bit later on in the broadcast. But, um, and just a, a quick update. Um, last couple of weeks, uh, the ladies of the Symmetra Tour, of course, were off on a break. Uh, but they're back again this week uh, playing in the Casino del Sol Golf Classic in Arizona that takes place uh, beginning, I believe, on Thursday. So we should have another winner uh, on next week's show. So that's why we've been doing the, the no BS zone. So, Cindy, before we start in our discussion, um, as those of you that tuned in last week may recall that Cindy was down in Orlando at one of her boot camps, why don't you give us just a little bit of a sneak peek at what happened down there this week, or last week, rather? Well, we had eight students who chose to participate. Um, what they learned was how they learn, whether they want to see it, feel it, or hear it, which is very important to know if you're audio, visual, or kinesthetic. Do I want to see what you want me to do? Do I want to hear what you want me to do? Or do I need to feel it myself? Then we did behavior assessments. Uh, there's four different behavior styles, D, I, S, and C, and you need to know what you are so that you can play better. A D is very driven, control-free, competitive. An I is fun-loving and doesn't want to hear all the details. An S is steady and just quiet and wants to hit balls on the side, and a C is detail analytical. And then we found out why you play, if you, what motivates you to action. Do you want to have fun? Um, if you're economic and you need to get a return on investment, then you would probably learn to play golf and use it as a business tool, like uh, what we do in our um, articles in Golf Tips Magazine from the back nine mm -hmm. of the boardroom. 
Mm-hmm. And then we hit balls, we chip, we putt, we do everything we need to do to get better at hitting the ball and scoring. And one of our students had a hole-in-one. Wow. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's always cool um, when yeah. somebody uh, drops it in like that. Uh, let me ask you real quick before we move on. Um, obviously, you were, you're busy with the boot camp and that. Did you get a chance to watch any of the masters this past weekend? I did. I did. I did. Did you? Yes, I did. I wa- I didn't watch the whole thing. I mean, I, I kind of, as they say, pardon the expression, henpecked a little bit through the weekend. But I did watch uh, the last nine holes on Sunday and uh, congratulations to Hideki Matsuyama um, for winning the masters. The first uh, uh, men's Japanese champion uh, ever and um, I'm not sure how old he is. I'm, I'm guessing he's probably in his 30s by the looks of him, uh, early 30s maybe. Um, but what a great, great uh, young man. I mean, he just played so rock solid. And I, I got to be honest, I was a little bit nervous when he hit the ball in the water on 15 and had to, you know, uh, had a short pitch back to the green because, of course, there's water uh, on the front of the green. So he's from behind the green. And uh, he had to sort of play it into the bank. And, uh, you know, if you don't just get the yardage just right, you get on the green and you could roll off and be in the water again. So uh, he ended up winning by one stroke, uh, 10 under a par, of course. But uh, what a great, uh, a great young man. And I think he's going to have a great future. And what was really interesting was they periodically would cut into the Japanese media as they were narrating different uh, aspects of the tournament. And, I mean, you could just hear the enthusiasm. I mean, I didn't understand a word they said, Cindy, but you could understand the enthusiasm and the excitement, you know, as they watched this young, you know, uh, at that time it was potential champion. They didn't know if he was going to win for sure, uh, but you could just hear the enthusiasm. And I, I can imagine that um, once all said and done, that Japan as a nation just went nuts because um, they are – um, a lot of people don't realize this, but they are second only to the United States uh, in golf. I don't know if you knew that or not, but um, I did not know that, and I'm sure they went nuts. And this guy is going to be a superhero, which is oh awesome. yeah. But you know what I want to discuss? Mm-hmm. Xander's shot on 16. Mm. Now a lot of people would say because. There was a little, you know, 15 minutes there where things could have turned quickly because of Hideki's ball going in the water on 15. Mm -hmm. And Xander knew that. And God bless him, the poor kid. You know, there's two ways to look at this. People could say, oh, he can't close the deal. Well, he wasn't in the lead. He was chasing. And he made it known in the interview afterwards that he had to fire at the pin and he hit mm-hmm. the shot perfect, and it just wasn't enough. And so right. he wasn't – I mean, he was upset at the at the outcome, but he wasn't upset with his decision, which I think is a huge big deal. So, yeah, again, some people could say, oh, you blew it. I didn't blow it. I knew what I was doing. I made it – I committed to my decision. I made a great swing. It wasn't enough club. Mm-hmm. The wrong decision. So, what do you right. think about that? 
Well, to, to you know, to further your point, uh, let me just say first to all the naysayers out there, um, let's see how well you do standing at 16 at Augusta National uh, in front of, you know, obviously the crowds weren't quite as big as they typically are, but again, thousands of people there watching as you're getting in the closing holes. Um, and of course, millions upon millions of viewers on TV. So, you know, it's very easy from your armchair or from your lazy boy to, you know, bark out, oh, that was just crazy or whatever. Uh, but no, I, I think he, you know, you, you have to, when you're, when you're chasing, as you said, you, you know, you, you're not, you're not protecting anymore. You have to go for it, whether it, you know, win, lose or draw, if you want to have any hope. And ha- now, if you're 10 shots back, um, you know, that's a different story. You're not going to catch up in, in the last three holes enough uh, unless something really bad happens. I mean, I've never seen it happen, but, you know, so you've got to go for it. Um, Miss club, obviously uh, he needed to take one more club, but again, you know, uh, so many things have, I mean, we've seen people, you know, at, at hole number 16 uh, can have a three club swing. I mean, I've seen some people hit a five iron and then I've seen other people come in with a seven iron. Um, and, and even shorter, depending on on the player, uh, or lower irons, depending on the player. So, you know, it's unfortunate, um, but I, I agree with you. I think he made the right decision. He just picked the wrong club. Totally agree. And and he can live with himself. And yeah, I'm, he said yeah, that you if have he to... was if he was in the lead, he would have bailed out to the right. But. Whatever. Right, but he but he wasn't in the lead. That's and, yeah, that's the whole point. He wasn't in the lead. He he had to go for it, and it didn't come out the way he had hoped. But he made wh- what I like about it was he he thought about what he needed to do. He made a decision, and he stuck with that decision. It may have been right or it may have been wrong. You know, history shows. Uh, you know, will show that. But the the bottom line is he made a decision and he stuck with it. Um, there's nothing worse than getting up there and second-guessing yourself through the whole process. So he did the right thing. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't maybe the best decision, um, you know, given the circumstances, but he made a decision and he went for it, and it just didn't get the result that he was hoping for. And, you know, uh, again, history will, will show that. Um, but uh, great, How about great event. Will Zalatoris? Yeah, another another great player as well. You know, it, wow. it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to watch um, a lot of these up up and coming players. Uh, I'm not familiar with a lot of them, you know, because uh, I don't obviously get a chance to watch as much as I'd like to uh, anymore. But um, but it's just amazing, you know, the the skill that these young guys have uh, and young girls too that are coming out, you know, through the Symmetra and through the LPGA. It's just amazing. Um, to watch them and, and and some of them at such a young age having the confidence and the, the abilities. I just don't know where it comes from. I, I really don't. I mean, a lot of hard work, obviously, but um, yeah, it, it was a great event. I really enjoyed it and uh, it was nice to see it in April again. Um, uh, it was a little bit odd last, last year in November uh, to have the Masters. I understand why they did it and it was nice in a way, but I just, to me, April means, you know, Augusta National. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how things go moving forward because, uh, you know, I've heard some discussions that they're talking about lengthening it a little bit again uh, at Augusta National. Um, not too keen on that. I think that they've got to find other ways to, um, you know, keep it competitive. If they've got to keep lengthening the golf course uh, in order to adapt to the big hitters, um, you know, you're kind of taking away 
in my opinion, from the game, but that's just my thoughts. All right, we've got to move on. Uh, we've got to get into this no BS zone. Uh, how to improve your accuracy. So, you know, like many golfers out there, and, and uh, especially you big hitters, uh, you know, there's a lot of thrill from winding up and just smashing the ball as, as far as you can hit it. However, uh, you sur- soon learn after a while that trying to blast the golf ball can be a little foolish uh, most of the time. You know, you're lucky if one out of every ten probably longer than more than that uh, is is going to be uh, successful uh, more often than not unless you're really really accurate off the tee if you try to really step on it too much uh, it's going to be all over the place uh, so of course uh, you're going to uh, sacrifice accuracy and Cindy one of the things and these are just a, a few points there's a lot of other things we can we can sort of jump back and forth to some different things but uh, I think the first and foremost, it, 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 again, it goes back to the grip. Um, you know, if you if you hold the club properly, uh, and again, that might be slightly different for everybody because we all are different. Um, but it starts with the grip. What are your thoughts there? Yes, it does start with the grip. I um, I would say let, allow your front arm to hang by your side and let it hang relaxed, and then have the club over by your left, which for right-handers would be left leg, and then just place your hands on the club. I would not grip it while I'm bowing over. I would grip it while I'm standing up tall with my arms hanging relaxed, just so that you are sure that your arm's hanging properly and you're not going to do anything to hurt your forearm or your elbows or your shoulder, anything strange, and then just grip the club. When you do that, then I would bow over, and then I would see my front thumb, if I'm right-handed, sitting at 1 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't believe thumbs should be straight because I think thumbs will pinch, and if thumbs mm-hmm. pinch, you're in deep doo-doo. Thumbs pinching will control the bending of the wrist, which will eliminate club head speed. What's mm-hmm. your thought on that? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, we, we've often heard over the years in, in talking about the grip, um, and again, I'm going to just talk about right-handed golfers here just because that's how I play. Um, so you obviously, whatever I'm saying, take the opposite for, for left-handed golfers. But um, your lead arm, of course, is or your lead hand is your left the way I've always looked at it is the majority of pressure in your left hand should be the last three fingers. Your uh, forefinger and your thumb should just rest very comfortably on there. Um, as you said, your thumb, you know, more to the one o'clock position uh, on, on the top of the grip. And as far as the right hand, again, as it comes down, it's going to be lower than your left. And I always, the middle, I call the middle two fingers is where you're going to feel the majority of pressure. So the, really there's, even though you've got all, you know, uh, eight of your fingers and two thumbs on the golf club, there's really only five that have the majority of pressure. And going to your point, as you swing back, you'll be able to cock the wrist a lot more efficiently. If you grip it too tightly and you've got everything, your thumbs, your forefingers, all gripping tightly with the same pressure, a lot of times, that, as you said, it is going to sort of hamper the wrist cock and you're not going to get the proper motions that you need to go through. So I, I agree hundred percent with what you said. And I think that grip is, you know, that's what you're holding the golf club with. That's what's holding the golf. No other part of your body is holding the golf club, but your hands. And if they're not placed on there properly, 
Um, and if the pressure is too much, then you're going to find that it's going to create problems. It's going to create tension. Uh, the other thing, too, is uh, there's sort of a V, if you will, on both of your hands as you grip the club uh, between your thumb and your forefinger. Uh, ideally, they should be pointing somewhere um, as you address the, the, uh, the ball. Those V's should be pointing up somewhere between your right cheek and your right shoulder, somewhere in, in that range. Uh, if they're pointing more to the center of your face or to the left, then you've got a very weak grip. If they're, if they're pointing way right of your shoulder, uh, your right shoulder that is, then you've got a very strong grip. And some people might be able to play with that, but more often than not, you have to make a lot of adjustments in order to square the club face up properly, and that creates a whole myriad of problems, which we'll get into another time. But So yes, grip is very, very important to start things off. Another one as well, Cindy, is the alignment of your shoulders. Um, I know that you did a drill recently in Golf Tips talking about that and how to point the shoulders and where they should be pointed. Maybe you could sort of recap that a little bit. Well, I just want people to know that you never aim your shoulders at the target. If you aim your shoulders at the target, then you're going to be parallel to the right of your target if you're right-handed and parallel to the left of the target if you're left-handed. So you always aim the face. So the club mm -hmm. face has to be square to the target line. Your shoulders will be parallel left or parallel right if you're left-handed. Yep. And, and it, you know, I always think of it as when I visually put that in my mind is your target is one rail of a train track and your, your upper body, your shoulders represents the other rail. So it's perpendicular. If you think of two, two rails on a train track, they're not, uh, they're not pointing at one another down the track. They're parallel to one another. And that's where you want your, you know, the, the various points of your body aiming parallel to that target line, not at the target line, as you just pointed out. So that's a great, uh, a great point. Um, let's move on to the next step, which is number three. Uh, and, and this one here, really, I think um, people kind of misunderstand this a little bit. And, and again, everybody's different, but uh, your lead, your swing with your left hand. Again, for right-handed golfers, right hand would be for uh, left-handed golfers. Um, pardon me, you lead your swing with your left hand. Your right hand will supply the power upon impact. So in other words, um, you don't want, as you're swinging through, you don't want your right side to become dominant um, because you're going to end up casting the club. If you, if you, as you come into your backswing, if your right hand suddenly sort of takes over, or your right arm even takes over, more often than not, you're going to cast the club and you're going to come and cut across the ball. Um, Cindy, what are your thoughts there? How do you like people to feel and, and put that into perspective? I want people to um, toss underhanded down the target line with their backhand. I don't mm -hmm. want them to come over the top. So if you're left-handed, your left hand's going to toss down the line. And if you're right-handed, your right hand's going to toss down the line. If you pull with, let's say you're right-handed, if you pull down and through with your left arm, you could outskate the puck, as we say. Mm -hmm. And then the face is going to be wide open and the ball's going to go way right if you're right-handed. So I want people to toss underhanded with their um, backhand. Yep, I agree. Um, yeah, and, and 
just to clarify, I'm not suggesting that your your left side or your lead hand uh, takes con- complete control. It's just that essentially, as you're swinging through, it is going to be the more dominant of the two. The right hand sort of comes along, as they say, for the ride uh, and applies the appropriate power at the right time. Uh, because again, if you if you try to force that earlier in the swing, then more often than not, you're going to cast the club out and ultimately cut across the ball, and then you have all kinds of funky things going on. This one here, next step four, Cindy, is one that I think a lot of golfers kind of misunderstand. We've always heard, you know, keep your head down as you swing your club. Um, Many golfers, not just beginners, are anxious to see the results of their swing. Um, Really what this is essentially saying is as you're coming through impact, you want to feel like you're still looking down at the ball and let your head rotate naturally as you come up through your swing and not sort of try to force that head coming up because that a lot of times will pull you out of your posture. Um, What do you think about that? Because, you know, again, centrifugal force sort of takes you through the rotation of your body and your head will obviously come up, um, but it can be forced up and that can create some problems. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. I just, I, say let your head follow what you're swinging i mean don't try to keep your head down because then you're not going to be able mm. to follow through with your hands wrists and arms right. and club head so i allow it to swing let it rip swing it through <laughs> make a whoosh and and if you do then i guarantee you you're going to hit it far and you'll see where it goes so you need to be yeah. able to see where the ball goes yeah and and i want to go back real quick to to a point that you um talked about uh, a few moments ago, and that is about the club face, about aiming the club face. That is something that a lot of people, and I know that you really emphasize that in your teaching, um, you know, and, and, and the ability to increase and improve your accuracy. Uh, a lot of people think that they've lined up correctly, but a lot of times their club face isn't, isn't uh, set correctly. Maybe you could touch on that a little bit more if you wouldn't mind. Um. Again, the only thing that hits the ball is the face. So the face must be straight, square to the target line. And it's Mm -hmm. really difficult if you're not sure. And people that tend to aim their shoulders will always aim to the right. And their brain will know it. And their subconscious mind will help them come over the top. So they'll pull everything. And to try to fix that, it's like opening a huge can of worms. So when I have a student that comes in that's doing that, I'm kind of like, well, how much better do you want to get? And how much do you want to work on this? Because with what you're doing, this could take a while, and it may feel really strange and yucky. So I just want to make sure that they understand that. Got to aim the face where you want the ball to go. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah, the lot- only thing we're trying to do is start the face square and bring it back to square. If we do that, we're going to hit it straight. Right, exactly. And one other thing, you know, we, we talked about the, the last one here, of course, was with, you know, sort of finishing high and, and obviously finishing through. Um, we see a lot of, especially for amateur golfers, uh, you know, as they come into the ball and they get into impact and then they kind of just stop all of a sudden and they think, okay, that's it. I've hit the ball now. I don't have to do anything else. Well, no, you've got to follow through and you've got to, you know, uh, finish high, if you will. But there's another one too, and uh, I, I mean, that's fairly straightforward, but there's another one too that I've noticed, and we've seen this a lot, especially with the more modern golfers, um, and I, I have fallen from time to time in this trap myself. I'm a tall person. I'm six foot four, so I, get a, I have a pretty wide arc, 
And sometimes in my backswing, um, I will get too long. And that creates a lot of problems. So I like to see students shorten their backswing a little bit more um, because I find that if you try to go too far back, you, you know, uh, a.k.a. John Daly, for instance, and you don't have that flexibility, what often happens is you actually, one, come out of posture, uh, but you also tend to sway over the ball. And then when you try to get back through to impact, uh, you've got to make a, a myriad of moves in order to get your weight shifted properly to be able to, to hit the ball straight and accurate. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, and again, uh, everybody's different, I realize that, but I think shortening the backswing a little bit, not trying to get too long, I think can also help with accuracy. What do you think? I think it does help with accuracy. I also believe that if you're having issues with accuracy, taking a half swing to help mm -hmm. you feel what you're doing and allow the club head to swing will help a lot. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I don't mean you, you consciously have to force it and, you know, you go so far, you know, oh, i got to stop. I, I just mean I think some people, as they're taking their club head back in, again, you know, if you're swinging it back, let it go back, and when you start to feel a, a little bit of tension, you know, then start to rotate back through the other way. Let the, your weight transfer and shift and go back the other way. What I often see sometimes, and as I said, I'm using myself as a, as a guinea pig here, I've been caught in that trap where I will try to, in order to get to that 90-degree shoulder turn, um, you know, or even beyond sometimes, I will try to force it and I'll get too long in my backswing. And then as I try to shift and, and unwind, um, it makes it more difficult to get back to the ball. And I find that I actually have to transfer my weight even a little further. And again, if you're not doing so in just the right sequence, um, you know, your club face may not come back completely square. It may be open or it may be shut if you've turned your hands over a little bit more uh, quickly. And all kinds of things can happen. So I think shortening it again, you know, a little bit, you, you know, we see a lot of tour players, you know, warming up in that. And they're not taking the club back as far as you might think they would. Now, somebody like a John Daly and a few others, uh, you know, Freddie Couples and whatnot, had a little bit longer backswing uh, than maybe some. But I think shortening that will also help, too, because, again, your, your body is more than likely going to stay in, uh, in sync a little bit easier uh, if you're not trying to force it into uh, an overextended backswing. Just my thoughts. I don't do ever think? try to turn. I try to swing the club head. And when I swing the club head and let my wrist hinge, it mm -hmm. goes back parallel to the ground. So I don't ever try to turn because otherwise you're going to cross the line and go back too far and lose your posture and all that good stuff. So yep. I'm never trying to turn. Right. I think to improve your accuracy, I always like to suggest, too, one final thing is for students when they're warming up and they're practicing, don't swing at 100%. Um, maybe start at 50% when you're warming up with your irons particularly um, and gradually creep up a little bit, you know, your swing speed and, and so forth, just to feel the club head because you want to feel the club head actually um, swing. You want to feel the weight of it swinging uh, in your golf swing. And a lot of times what happens is people get out there and they just try to give it a good old rip and they just, their body just gets out of sequence. They're, they're all over yep. the place. They're swaying, you know, they're swaying or they're, 
you know, the, the hands are trailing way behind because they've shoved their body out. That's the other thing is they're shoving their body out in front. So if you want to be accurate uh, golfer, uh, then I would suggest doing some of the things that we've talked about here this morning. And just don't try to force it. Just let the club head do its job. Swing the club. Make sure your hands are gripped properly. And um, that's why you need to get out there and work with a great professional like Cindy. Um, all right, we're going to take just a quick uh, pause here as we hear uh, a little ad from Golf Tips Magazine. Then we're going to come back and we're going to talk with our special guest this morning, Debbie Wakus. All right. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right. Again, go to GolfTipsMag.com and uh, you'll see some great stuff there on the website. And don't forget to subscribe as well. Uh, all right. A very special guest. We've had her on the show a number of times. Uh, her name is Debbie Wakus. She is a speaker, author, and consultant who founded uh, Golf for Cause back in 2000, uh, an effort to empower businesswomen through golf. Uh, she's also the has been the tournament director for the Marilyn Smith uh, Scholarship Pro-Am, uh, past president of the women in the golf industry, and co-founder of the National Women's Golf Alliance. Um, she also read a great book, uh, Get Your Golf On, which is uh, the second edition is actually uh, available at Amazon. Uh, please welcome back our very special guest, Debbie Waitkus. Good morning. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. Thanks for having me on on such an amazingly special day. Yeah, tell us what's yeah. so special about today. Well, there are 13 founders of the LPGA, and April 13th happens to be the birthday of my girl, Marilyn Smith. And it's not a day that goes by that I don't think about her and how inspiring she has been, not just in my life, but in so many people's lives, and probably for you as well, Cindy. And mm -hmm. so today is, is her day, and we also have a new foundation that we had started called the Marilyn Smith and Founders Legacy Foundation, which is a mouthful, so we call it Loving Lady MSFLS, and we have our annual board <laughs> meeting today, too. So it's a very special day, <laughs> 13th of April. <laughs> very good. Yeah, Marilyn is, it was a, a great lady. We had the pleasure of having her on the show a few years back um, uh, before she passed, of course, mm -hmm. and uh, just what a great, great spirit and just a, a wonderful person. And, and, you know, Cindy, this goes to you know, really what we've talked about is just um, how people like Marilyn and so many others in this industry um, who have been very fortunate and very blessed through their own journey uh, ultimately give back in so many great ways. And I can't think of, you know, too many people that do it or have done it as well as, as Marilyn has. Um, so Debbie, maybe you could just, for those that, you know, that are tuning in maybe for the first time to the show, maybe you could just give a little bit of a back history, if you wouldn't mind, on Marilyn Smith. Just tell us a little bit more about her uh, for those that maybe aren't familiar with her. 
Oh, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so if you think about this, Marilyn would be 92 today. And mm-hmm. so when she was a young girl, you're talking about the 40s and 30s, 40s, 50s. And if you can imagine what it was like to be a young woman at that point in time in our, in our world, and it was unusual for a girl to be, let's just call it a tomboy or athletic, or for parents to nurture that in, in a child to begin with. And, but Marilyn had all of that and that tenacity. She loved, loved, loved to play baseball. In fact, mm-hmm. she was the captain or the manager and the pitcher and whatnot on the team that she started because there weren't, she wasn't allowed to play with the boys. So she started her own and obviously played with the boys. And that took her, that, that actually got her to, to golf because she came home from a practice <laughs> one day and threw her mitt against the wall and her mother in the June Cleaver outfit cooking dinner, if you can imagine, said, you know, so dear, how was practice? And she let out a four-letter word. <laughs> and so she would always say, that it was a four-letter word that led her to golf because her parents basically said, look at we're going to teach you a more ladylike sport, and took her down to the Wichita Country Club where, you know, being athletic, good hand-eye coordination, you know, she took to it really quickly and just loved it. And I think, you know, that set her on a path when she was playing golf for um, – uh, University of Kansas, the athletic director, his name was Fog Allen, her dad approached him for some money to play in the intercollegiate uh, golf tournament. And he basically said to her, to, to her father, that I'm sorry, Mr. Smith, that your son is not your daughter. And it, so, you know, the discrimination or just the lack of awareness or openness to women in sports or or anything different. You know, change is hard for institutions. And uh, that, that really, I think, was the impetus for her to do a lot of things. Number one, start a scholarship fund to girls, for girls to go to college. Number two, we're pushing for everything that related to opportunity for women. And that included school, that included the teaching division in the LPGA where Shirley Spork, another founder, was mm-hmm. her really uh, the driving force, uh, it, the teaching division started when Marilyn was president of the LPGA. She started the first senior tour event. She started, she, she started so many things because she could <laughs> or she wanted to try. And, and I don't know that, as, that she and her, her colleagues considered this a, a burden or, or that it was, it was difficult. I think that they considered it as part of the adventure and uh, because they were quite adventurous. Um, but just being a founder of the LPGA, you know, they all had their different roles. She took on the role of Miss Personality, and when Babe Zaharias passed away, Babe was really the calling card for the LPGA. And when she mm-hmm. passed away, Marilyn told me a story about how they, you know, right beforehand, you know, she had her arm around Marilyn and they're walking along. She's like, you know what, you've got to carry the torch now. This is, you know, you, people come to see you, you know, and Marilyn mm. knew that that wasn't the case. <laughs> she, she went along with it, but, but she felt that this was, not, she was now being charged with having to do the marketing and, and all of that. So, 
Um, but she was she was quite the personality, and you know, as she talked about friendships, Ted, she had a knack for making you feel like you were her best friend, and she truly welcomed in everybody. And I was always amazed at how she could remember people's names from year to year, and and a person's parents' names, and and a story about them, and. She really took that to heart. She encouraged and nurtured so many people, and really, uh, I know she was a mom on on the tour for a lot of the women. She, there, there are many of us with whom she, you know, was a pen pal and uh, and wrote cards all the time, and and birthday cards and holiday cards. You know, I have a file full, and uh, <laughs> and I know I'm not alone. Um, right. She just really tra- she lifted everybody up, and uh, and and if someone would give her credit for something, she would always say, "Well, we had a lot of help." Just a yeah. really true, true giving soul. Very true humble. Um, I remember mm-hmm. when she was on the show, she was very, very humble, and I actually uh spoke to her for a few minutes after I called her after she was uh, a guest on the show with you uh, a few years back and again very very humble um but very you know honored to be able to do what she did and to be able to pay it forward um Cindy uh go ahead I know you have a question or two for uh, for Debbie uh, she was the sweetest nicest person and and you're right she did make you feel like you were best friends with her and it, because, again, everybody was looking up to her, and it was like, oh, that's Marilyn Smith. Oh, that's Marilyn Smith. And she was like, oh, hi, how are you? I, she was just so sweet, uh, unbelievable. So I can't say enough good stuff about her. So tell us what's going on now. Give us the scoop. So we started a foundation in order to forward the legacies of not just Marilyn, but all of the founders as well as the LPGA pioneers. Marilyn's family has bequeathed her memorabilia to us, and my understanding is that Shirley Spork, who um, she'll turn 94 on on May 14th, so you get an an idea of how special these ladies are, she is going to be doing the same with her memorabilia. So part of the mission of the organization is really to take all of these things and purposefully help forward these the, their their memories, their the um, their legacies, but keep them relevant. All those skill sets that they used. Um, and, and the learning that they had, and let let people know, is, is, with respect to in women's sports, especially in golf and the LPGA, whose shoulders they're standing on, who's paved the way to make it good for us to be able to be out here swinging, right? Um, so whether that means we'll have something that's brick and mortar, we'll have something that's mobile, we'll have things that are around the country in different facilities, whether it's in uh, Mid Pines or with Dave Harner at French Lick and um, Mm -hmm. in different places where things are relevant um, that people can see them as well as for younger people doing things digitally. We're formulating all of those things right now as far as what that memorabilia side will look look like. Uh, We've also gathered the 
what we're calling, or actually they named themselves Maryland Scholarship Recipients, named themselves Maryland's Pearls. And mm. so they have mm. now, they're creating a community uh, for themselves. They've never been connected before, and they, they have such pride in carrying her moniker as a Marilyn Smith Scholarship Girl. And so they have a mentorship community, but not just for themselves, but for other young women who want to come to go, want to play golf in college, and what's that? What is that like? And what should my expectations be? And and what's life after look like? So, their Maryland's Pearls are a part of this organization as well. And then we have we will be bringing back the program that we did for years to generate revenue for scholarships for um, for for more girls and. I know that the AGA here in Arizona, the Arizona Golf Association, is planning a scholarship, a, uh, an Arizona Women's Open that I believe Ed Gowan has said that they are going to call the Maryland Smith Women's Open. And we'll have at the front end of that a pro-am similar to what we had done in years past with a uh, participating honoree and some of the teaching pros and legend players from around the country come and perhaps we'll get a couple of tour players too. And that'll take place after the ANA. So we've got some some fun some fun things happening with respect to that. And then on a whole other angle, oh go go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no go ahead. Please continue. Oh, okay. On a, on another angle, um, Jamie Zimron, who I know is a good friend to your show. She mm-hmm. and I have partnered together, and we're doing some business golf programming and one of those programs is some astonishing business and golf wisdom from the trailblazing LPGA pioneers kind of telling the stories about how they came out of the kitchen and all those lessons that that you and I and we can all learn from and take into our daily lives whether it's our work lives or our charitable work or even just something as simple maybe it's not simple but navigating COVID these are all things we need that tenacity we need we need that perseverance and all those different lessons that they had and and you know what was interesting to me in doing some of the interviews and um, in speaking with them so many their fathers had such an impact on their lives and they go back their crucial moments when they're something that they're trying to make happen or they're they're confronted with something and they conjure up their father's voice in their hearts and in their ears. And um, fathers were really a big part of their lives as far as even getting them onto the golf courses. And so it's, it's just fascinating um, so many of those lessons learned that are pertinent for us in our daily lives. And she had a – you had just, uh, I think, last month, um, I believe it was March 21st, they had a, uh, an auction, Correct. Yes, we had an auction and we had a Sunday tea. And mm-hmm. the auction was an online auction. It was wonderful. And we embedded in that auction a raffle in which we had a golf bag that originally was going to be for Maryland's Pro-Am that was, was going to be part of Founders Cup in 2020. And as we all know, that that didn't come to fruition because of COVID. So we sent that golf bag down to the CME in December, and all of the participating uh, players, they they signed that bag, 
And uh, oh, it's wow. just a really, really special bag. And so in that auction, we embedded a raffle, and we raffled that off. And I actually presented the bag yesterday to the winner. Her name is Daisy Anderson. And she actually, uh, she was another one of Marilyn's friends <laughs> that Marilyn <laughs> took in. And um, she first met Marilyn when uh, she was gallerying at the Founders Cup. And, and sure enough, at one point, I think like a year later, we're coming around the corner, and Marilyn's like, "Hi, Daisy." <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so it was really lovely that uh, that Daisy won the bag. She'd even uh, had dinner with her at her favorite restaurant, which is Bella Luna, in, in, here in Arizona. <laughs> so it, the the bag now has a beautiful, beautiful home. And we also, as part of what we did in March, as you uh, mentioned, Ted, we did a Sunday tea and. In years past, when we did Maryland's Pro-Am here, always on a Monday, the Sunday beforehand, we did what we called a Sunday tea, where anyone could gather to actually meet and greet. Ron Syrak would come in and interview Marilyn and Shirley and whomever the participating honorees were for that, for that event. Um, and that included people like Judy Rankin and Nancy Lopez and um, uh, Sandra... Uh, Sandra Palmer and Donna Capone, some amazing women. And Mm -hmm. it was a nice opportunity, especially for juniors, to come and um, and, and have a conversation with them and and, and get their story. And um, it was was just a a, a wonderful experience. And so this year we did a Sunday tea during what would have been Founders Cup week here. And Mm -hmm. it coincided with the Symmetra Tour event that, they, the tour kicked off that same week here in Phoenix. So Mike Nichols was on the program with us. So we did a virtual Sunday too. We made the room larger. <laughs> and uh, and Shirley was on and Nancy Lopez and Sandra Post and Renee Powell. And the stories are just, you know, the, the love in the room is wonderful. And I'll be sure to get you a link for that so that you can mm-hmm. have that and share that because it was really a special, special day. Very good. Thank you. Um, Cindy, go ahead. How do the junior golfers react when they meet all these pioneers? So many of them don't know who these women are, and it sometimes surprises me because I, as a younger player, would look up to these women, and I'm so grateful that I've had relationships with all of them you know, Kathy Whitworth and Marilyn and Joanne mm-hmm. Carner and, and Donna Capone and Sandra Palmer and Sandra Post and Renee Powell and blah, 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 blah. You know, so tell me how these young girls react. Well, you've got two different categories of young girls, Cindy. So look at Europe. You were a player. So that was, you know, they were part of your life. And I will tell you that when, um, my husband and I played in the Pro-Am for the Symmetra Tour event here. We had two women who, who we played with because we played one with the front nine, one with the back nine. One knew about the founders, and the other one thought that that founders was a restaurant. So um, we, have a lot of work, we have a lot of work to do. And, it's, um, and, and you know, and it's disheartening to me, but it makes, me feel like the programs that Jamie and I are putting together should be required curriculum for 
some of these newer tour players to actually be part of, to, to experience so that they can understand who they, who they are. When you look at the LPGA, USGA girls, I think that the LPGA has done a phenomenal job at creating access to the history, to Shirley, to Maryland, especially here in the Arizona market when we have Founders Cup here. I mean, Corey Matheson does a phenomenal job with her girls, and her girls knew, uh, knew Maryland, and they know Shirley. Um, they know them very, very well. They have so much face time. They could tell you stories about the founders, and that's really, um, that's really lovely. Shirley often will send me links to Zoom calls that she's done with different LPGA, USGA girls golf sites in the country where they're Zooming now. And she's, you know, having some FaceTime with them and, and interacting with them. And it's just, it, it, it's, it's lovely. And, you know, and, and I think what you're, what you're speaking about you know, the access that you had and how well you knew them um, is really a key to what I feel like the work that we have ahead of us with the MSFLF to make sure that they're relevant, to make sure that their stories are told, make sure that they're, that they're still household names. Um, because, you know, once you get beyond Babe Zaharias, most people don't, if people know who Babe was, they don't know who these ladies are and, and how they were, why they were so important. And look at this is the oldest women's sports association in, in the world. And, um, and, there, and there's a reason for that. I mean, their, their tenacity kept it together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely had um, uh, a lot of spunk and tenacity for sure. I know um, several years back, actually, Jamie, uh, in fact, I talked to um, – Jamie, last night, um, I understand you and her and, and others are, are going on a trip uh, this coming weekend. Um, mm -hmm. But um, she was talking a about some of the things that you guys... That. Yes, exactly. Imagine, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, somebody in the golf business actually being able to go on a golf trip. Yeah, imagine that. Um, <laughs> but, um, you, you know, we were talking about different things in that, and I, I mentioned that you were going to be coming on this morning. And, you know... You're exactly right. You know, the, the, the founders, uh, you know, without them, all of the people that have followed since would not be where they are. The Annika Sorenstams and, and, you know, and all of these other great players and all of these great professionals like the Cindy Millers and, and many others out there mm -hmm. and, and the you know, Jamie Zimmerons um, and all of these, you know, thousands and thousands of other people who are benefiting, um, you know, we can't emphasize enough really the importance of, of understanding what they brought to the game. Um, you know, when we think of golf, you know, from the men's side, you know, we all, even, you know, the youngest players, they all know who Arnold Palmer is. They know who Jack Nicholas is, you know, majority of them know who Gary player is and so on and so forth. I mean, they're they've become household names, but if you ask most women, unless they've been entrenched in golf for some period of time, they don't know the same on the other end. They certainly know some of the more modern players. They, most people know Nancy Lopez and, and so on right. and so forth. But again, they don't understand who brought them you know, to where they are today. Um, so I, I agree with you. Right, go ahead. Well, I, it makes me think about this. 
my, my husband has a company we've had for 40 years, right? And there are families who have, it's become a bigger family. You know, you start with a few employees, you grow your company, you do everything it takes. You roll up your sleeves, there are the late night hours, you're pushing a broom, you're, you're crunching numbers, you're doing sales, you're actually doing the jobs, and, and then you're wrapping them up, you're sending your thank yous, all those things that are, are in your business of what you do, the same as you run, run your business. Cindy, I'm so impressed with all the, the reminder emails you send me. I mean, all those things that go into putting your show together. You know, mm-hmm. these women did this without any sense of um, what's supposed to be because they didn't necessarily go to school for business. You know, right. Shirley went to school, got a degree in, in physical education. Marilyn didn't finish school. Some of them did, some of them didn't. But they they did, you know, as an entrepreneur, you do what you need to do. They, they marketed, they sent thank yous, they called ahead, they called the newspapers to try to get above the line on this. Uh, you know, a, a, a story about the fact that they were in town and coming to town, what the results were. I mean, they, they, they did everything, setting up the golf courses and making nice to the head golf professional. And uh, it just, the, the marketing, everything that they did as you would do in your business. And mm-hmm. yet these were women and these were athletes. So they competed against the, their, their, their colleagues. I mean, the people that they worked with to build their business, they're competing against them. They didn't have coaches and they didn't have swing coaches and head coaches and all of that. They had each other. So, you know, does my swing look funny, Ted? You know, can you tell me what I'm doing wrong? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they they built this together and just as anyone would their own business. And it's just amazing that so many companies know who their founders are. They know right. what their skill sets were. They know the values that those founders brought to the party. And, and this is why we do things this way. Well, you know what? The LPGA is the same way. Yeah, LPGA I, is I the couldn't, same way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, they, you're exactly right. I remember, you know, Marilyn has spoke about this. Shirley spoke about this as well when, when I had her on the show. And, you know, they both talked about how, you know, yes, when they get out in the golf course, they were competing against one another. But when they were off the golf course, they were friends and they helped one another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they work towards a common goal. Um, you know, they might have beaten each other's brains out when they got on the golf course. But, you know, that was in the heat of, uh, you know, competitiveness. But even then, I mean, it was it was much more subdued, I think. But, um you know, you're right. They did well, so much to thugs or babes to Harriet. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> exactly. So, um, so how can we, um, how can we on the outside, let's say for those that are tuning into the show that maybe don't, um, you know, know a lot about Marilyn and, and many other founders, where can we go to get more information on, on, you know, Marilyn Smith, where can we find out, how to be more involved and how to understand what she has brought to the game. And basically, you know, where can we go to, to get more information? Well, that's a really good question, Ted. And I think that there's, as we grow our organization, we'll have all of that contact information and, and whatnot that we can share with you. But in the meantime, 
there is a DVD called The Founder's Film, and it's probably a link out there as well that I could share with you um, that really tells a lot of the history about what's going on um, or what, what went, has gone on to build the LPGA. There's also, through the World Golf Hall of Fame, there are stories about Marilyn um, as well as uh, some of the other women who were so influential uh, in, in, starting, in starting the organization um, and the LPGA itself. Um, and then I will also get you the link for the Sunday tea that we did that, that viewers mm-hmm. can, can have. Um, and, and then, as, like I said, as we get more, as, as we, because we're at our, at our infancy here and getting our infant structure mm-hmm. together, right. um, that we'll, we'll be able to share some of that, those links and information for you. And perhaps you'll Perfect. even have me and Jamie back on again. <laughs> we will. We will definitely. You are always welcome to come back. Well, Debbie, thank you. Yes, not a problem. Debbie, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. And when we come back on, we'll uh, talk a little bit more uh, about your, uh, the book and that as well. But we appreciate you um, coming on and sharing uh, a little bit more about uh, Marilyn's legacy with the audience. Okay. Thank you so much, and Cindy, thank you. And uh, it's a special day, thank so you. I'm happy to share it with you. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Thank you, Debbie. Have a great one. All right. That was Debbie Wakus, um, speaker, author, and founder of Golf for Cause, and obviously a big fan of Marilyn Smith's, who would have turned, I believe she said, 92 today. We want to thank you. We uh, got a split. We appreciate you joining this morning on the Women of Golf, and next week we'll be back, hopefully, with another winner from the Smetta Tour and another great guest. Um, On behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Odorico. Thanks for joining us this morning. God bless everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Cashbox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf's Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash womenofgolf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.